Hello and welcome to my podcast. I'm Gary Rosenberg, here as always with Rabbi Alon Tolwin of Aish in the Woods, which is uh, outside of Detroit, just two and a half miles north of Eight Mile, located in beautiful Oak Park, Michigan. And uh, today we've got a topic, uh, we're, we're sticking with the lightweights. I'd like to talk about the meaning of life. I think that's a, uh, you know, um, I, I put it into chat GPT and I wanted to see what chat GPT said. What are some of the reasons that we exist? And uh, I thought I'd start with that. One of them was the meaning of life is to find your true purpose and fulfill it. Is that reasonable? Reasonable. Okay. Uh, to experience as much joy and happiness as possible. How about that? Yeah. Well, you know, that's a good one. To help others and make a positive impact on the world. Yeah, it's the same as number two. Okay. Uh, to seek spiritual enlightenment and understanding. Yes, a variation on number two. <laughs> to love and to be loved by others. Same variation. To create <laughs> a lasting legacy for future generations. Sounds. Uh, to find inner peace and contentment. Okay. I don't know if it's worth the pain, but okay. Um, <laughs> I talked to friends of mine, and they said things like, to procreate. You've heard that one before. Yeah. Uh, to serve God or to worship God as Bob a meaning Dylan for life. That. Okay. To gain entrance into heaven. To earn your way into heaven. Okay. Most religions say that. To spread God's glory. As a meaning of life, how about this? The, the the meaning of life could be the search for the meaning of life. That's you buy good. that? Yeah, that's good. To appreciate nature. Yeah. Okay. To live each day as if it's your last. That's a little pragmatic. Why start? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, I would say live your life as if each day is your first. Uh, and to evolve. <laughs> Definitely. So yes. so Judaism has specific answer to what we're here for, right? I mean, the rabbis have been sitting around for 3,500 years talking about stuff like this. Yeah. And there's an answer. There's an answer. It's amazing yeah. to think that there is an answer. That Judaism right. says, ah, we know the meaning of life. Right. And here it is. Right. Can you put it in two sentences? <laughs> Judaism says that the whole purpose of creation is that the Creator wanted us to have pleasure. And I think if we think about it for a half a second, if you have children, you ask yourself, why did I have kids? As Carly Simon once said, I haven't got time for the pain. Is she talking about having kids? No. Okay. <laughs> but I think it's applicable. The point is that, you know, it's... Uh, it's, it's a pain, but we have kids, and we ask, what do we want from our children? What do we want for our children? And on, on some level, we want to say, well, I want my kids to have a better life than me, or whatever you're going to answer. But Judaism ultimately, ultimately says that we, we are created for pleasure, and we want pleasure for our children. The question is that definition of pleasure. What it is. Well, I want my kid to go to college, have a good degree, so we can get a good job, so we can be 
self-sufficient so that he can have a family and send his kids to college so they can get a good job and they can be self-sufficient so they can get married and have kids and send them to college. And it just keeps going. But why? I mean, don't start. A lot of people have been killed since the beginning of time, sacrificed on the altar of everyone else's pursuit of pleasure. Uh, haven't got time for the play, pain. Uh, what's it all about? And what is it all about? So Judaism says it's all about pleasure, but there's five types of pleasure. And when you think about it again, form follows function. The biggest sex organ we have is our skin. And our skin, no matter where you touch it, responds to touch because it's pleasurable. If you take a look, form follows function. Everything we do really is motivated by some type of pleasure, whether it's listening to music or taking a walk outside or talking about the things that Chad G uh, GPT presented as, as purposes for living. It's a pursuit of pleasure. So that's what it really is. Another question is, what's that pleasure? So Judaism also teaches us that all pleasures in the world, and I, I think this is staggeringly genius, can be divided into five categories. And each one is appealing to a different aspect of our existence, of our sense. Before you get into the five types of pleasure, so you're saying that Judaism doesn't say that we're here on this earth to sacrifice and suffer? And, and for the, the duty of praying to God many times a day and making sure we're in synagogue every week. And that, it's, it's, not, it's not all about sacrifice and duty. No one can see this, but I'm actually nodding my head no. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> most people think that the opposite of pain is pleasure, and it's not true. There's no question that pain is often the currency needed with which to acquire pleasure. You know, you've got a bunch of guys on a basketball court on 90-degree day, stripped down to their shorts and running back and forth, sweating like pigs, trying to see who's going to win the game. Take away the ball and you become a torturer, right? Why are you That's doing sure. this to us? But the moment you put your eye in the ball, you're willing to withstand all of this sweating and running back and forth and jumping and outmaneuvering in order to win the game. So pain is not the opposite of pleasure. The opposite of pain is simply no pain or perhaps comfort. And pleasure is the result of whatever we do, which is worthwhile, that comes with some kind of an effort. There is no pleasure without some kind of effort. Even if I mow the lawn, get paid a buck, go to a store and buy a Hershey bar, the pleasure I'm getting from that Hershey bar is not just the chocolate. Can I ask a question? Yeah. Um, um, so the, the, the fellows running around on the basketball court, if they're not competing, if they're not keeping score, they're going to get bored sooner. And, yeah. and then you're, you're torturing them by making them run up and down. Are you saying there's something about the competition that does more than just keep the mind occupied? What do you, what do you, yeah, also what does that have gives, to do with it, pain? It gives and a certain level of meaning to the game. Okay. 
Okay, you know? so, well, it does, right? It's a, not, it is, and competition is a meaning. Yeah, keep a score. What's the, you know what? I played my first game of Frisbee golf last week, uh-huh. and we were not keeping score. Right. And I don't want to say I was bored because I was with my family, and that was great to be with them, but it's a walk in the woods. If I'm competing, it's way more interesting. What, was it, what does it have to do with the meaning of life? Because ultimately, the, the, let's call it a game, the game of life is, on one hand, it is finding that meaning. But like what you just said, if you were not focused on being with your family, it would have been boring. So you, therefore, you say, I make a decision to focus on being with my family. And now it's not just not boring, but it becomes pleasurable. I'm doing something with my family. That's a skill necessary for life. So if you don't have that skill, don't bother looking for the meaning of life. So people who watch sports all the time, and there are people who do it to outrageous extents. I was one of them. A couple decades ago, I found myself watching four NFL football games on a weekend. I was watching teams I didn't even know who they were. I'm watching San Diego play St. Louis because I loved football so much. I was enjoying the competition, see who would win, watch them struggling and striving and doing their best and teamwork. But I don't think it was adding meaning to my life. Right. So I had a situation where I'm going to skip the story and go straight to the punchline. And this is definitely uh, a major factor in meaning. And that is human beings need to be winners. And I will identify with a winner I will want to pick a winner, something that'll give me that vicarious thrill of winning. So therefore, I'll watch watch sports. Maybe this isn't the only reason, but it's a reason that resonates with me. Uh, My dad's a a fanatic Packer fan. And when they win, he wins. And when they lose, they're a bunch of idiots because it makes him feel like a loser. You need that in life as well. Is Is that to the point? Um, I guess. I, it, I mean, it's it's one thing to strive yourself. It's something else to watch somebody else. No, but it's the identification. I identify okay. as a winner because this is my team. My team won the game. Well, I, ha- I have a, a, a philosophy that I made up about this. Want to hear it? Absolutely. And that is that... Uh, it's your podcast. <laughs> that is, well, it's ours. Um, I, I think that the more elemental an activity is, the more it's easy to appreciate by viewers. For instance, anybody can sock somebody, you can hit them. But if you are the best hitter, you're all of a sudden a heavyweight champion making millions of dollars. Anybody can tell a joke. But if you're the funniest guy around, you're Jerry Seinfeld, you're worth a billion dollars. And everybody can run, but if you run really fast, you become a famous runner. Everybody can sing a little bit, but if you're the greatest singer, you're Barbara Streisand. So the more, the things we all can do are easy to appreciate if you see somebody doing it. Uh, That's what you mean by elemental. Yeah. Yeah. Just the most basic things. Anybody can tell a story, but if you're the greatest storyteller, then you're probably Mark Twain. Right. You become really famous. So I'm going to say something. That I'm just making up. <laughs> and you tell me if it's on point. And that is, basically, in life, we are all looking to be meaningful. 
but it's black and white. We either engage in something which is fundamentally meaningful to ourselves or look for some kind of substitute, a counterfeit. But we can't sit there doing nothing. Because if we're doing nothing, even if it's menial stuff, I have to somehow find meaning to it. Uh, what was the movie? Midnight Special about the kid that was put in jail? Midnight Express. Midnight Express. And they're going around down below. And if they, if someone goes in the other direction, they destroy the world. But these, these, these poor lost souls down there in, in the prison, damned to eternity, have found meaning because they're pulling this big wheel around in the correct direction is what's keeping the world afloat. Right? If someone would pop their bubble, that's what this kid does. They'll they'll kill him. They'll mm. kill him. Mm. So ultimately, we must find meaning. We're either going to fill our lives up with sports and stuff which are really essentially just entertainment and they're meaningless. 100%. Or we're going to do something like figure out how to become, go back to chat, GPT, how to make the world kinder, how to leave it better than I found it. Uh, you know, having kids is a little bit scary because people say, I don't want to bring kids into this crazy world, but whatever. It's still seen by most people as an investment in the future. So, and we're going back to the point we've like, run around a few places. I think number one is we said that every human being is in fact looking for meaning. And if they can't find real meaning, they're going to look for counterfeit meaning. And meaning ultimately is pleasurable and pleasurable comes at a cost. Uh, and that cost is the effort of investment. Physical, emotional, financial, all sorts of types of investment. And I think those are fundamental principles that people need to know when they start off on their trek through life. So if we lose or give up the ability to make decisions, we're less human somehow? We've compromised our humanity. Is, is this what makes us different from animals? That yes. We, we choose right from wrong? and Right. You see, there's a difference between a preference and a decision. You know, there's two pieces of roadkill out on the street, and all of a sudden you see this crow coming down and picks on one piece of roadkill and then hops over to the other one and, and ultimately decides, hmm, I want this fresh roadkill. So, oh, is this crow exerting its freedom of choice? No, it's just a preference. And we can live like a crow too. It's just, you know, I'm not interested in that. I just eat based on my habits. I like chocolate and leave me alone. Well, come on, try this. I don't want to open myself up to anything else. We don't, we can either live within the realm of preferences, which is all very visceral, or we can live within the world of choice. Choice is beyond the realm of animal preference. It's into the realm of that which makes us uniquely human. Animals never decide whether they should share their roadkill with a less fortunate crow. I mean, mm -hmm. Maybe there might be some animals on an animal level that do this kind of things, dolphins, whatever, but fine. Well, well again, well... Dolphins never make decisions to get together and pool all of their resources so they can bring extra food down to the dolphins that are living in the Arctic Circle and whatever. You understand, there's things that we humans do as humans that transcend 
the limitations of the individual and transcend really our own ability to impact the world. Those are choices. And the second greatest pleasure available to us human beings is to make choices. That's power, the power to make a decision. Right. If you would give that up, then you're barely human. Then you're barely human, right. You're, You're operating on a very low level. So then that leads us to what is the ultimate Oh no it's now we're getting now we're getting to the religion stuff. Now we're getting well no because <laughs> you know I've always maintained Judaism is not a religion. I don't know what that means. I don't know. Uh, here, well, us. let's save that for another class. Okay. Another podcast or whatever. But this is really what it says because if if you got an atheist, a guy's traveling, traveling around the world and he's looking for something, looking for the ultimate experience. And you say, hey, how you doing? You know, in the next room, you're looking for the ultimate experience. The next room, I can introduce you to God. I can. Interested? The atheist is no. Not no, interested at all. No, the atheist is going to say, come on. Right. There is no God. But I want. But if there is, come on, let me in the room. Ah! Come on. You what, don't kind of, think- what kind of atheist is that? An atheist is going, I, I don't even want to, that room, I could care less about that room because there is no God. So the, in this scenario you're setting up, you're able to convince this atheist that in that room you can you can meet God. Yeah. Come on. Good I luck. would say, I would say if a guy, even if he's died in the wall, atheist, you say, listen, we've known each other for how long? I'm not crazy. I'm telling you, I can introduce you to God. Open a stupid door and go in. What do you have to lose? Your atheism? Big deal. Right? Well, now, for for many atheists, their atheism is a big part of, of how they feel about themselves. By the way, I believe that if you scratch an atheist, you find an agnostic. I, it happened so fast. I was at uh, a dinner one night, and this wonderful elderly woman, woman probably probably about the age I am now, Jesus, um, she said, well, me, I'm a Jewish, Jewish atheist, blah, blah, blah. And I asked her, I said, so you're 100% certain that there's no God? And she goes, well, I don't actually know that. So it... it it didn't take long, right, <laughs> to turn her into an agnostic, right. So yeah, you can you can you can you can deal with an agnostic. Says, well, I don't, I don't I'm not sure. I know. So then open the I'm door. Sure, show it. <laughs> I'm pretty sure there's no God, right? Yes, an agnostic or an atheist who is willing to talk, right? Who isn't just trying to win every argument, right? That person you can get them to open the door. Okay, so what happens okay. when he opens the door? What? Okay, well, first I want to tell you a cute story. Okay, and that is I was at a. A house, and I was talking to the, the husband of the hostess, and he said, Rabbi, I hope this doesn't offend you, but I'm an atheist. So I said, well, I'm not offended if you're an atheist. Why well, should offend me? But I said, but I want you to do me a favor. Would you please de- define for me the God that you don't believe in? <laughs> and he, That's a good trick question. I like it. He looked at me and goes, I never really thought about that. <laughs> so I said, oh. So he says, Come back tomorrow, and I'll tell you my answer. Well, I showed up tomorrow, and he wasn't there. But that's just a cute story. But the point is that 
most people recognize intuitively that to meet God is the ultimate experience. And we have those experiences. We see um, the aurora borealis. You stand on the south rim of the Grand Canyon. You hold your first child right after birth, and you feel at one time you have become completely infinitesimally small and at the same time connected to the universe. That's a transcendental experience. And we can feel that. We believe that every human being has to feel alone with God under a starry sky in the middle of Penn Station. It's possible. That's the ultimate. That's the first level. It's connecting to existence itself. So we're here for pleasure. Yeah. You've described the five levels of pleasure. This, I, I take it, is something else that's written in the book, and it's been, it's been uh, um, codified somewhere, again, among the 3,000-plus years of rabbis arguing about uh-huh. stuff. Yeah. And they came up with this. This is not something you invented. No. And it's something you were taught in your, in your rabbi learning situation, which is, how long does it take to become a rabbi? How many years are you in a yeshiva? So how many years you're in a yeshiva is not necessarily connected to the course of study. Different schools, different yeshivas have different courses. Um, they're generally anywhere from two to five years, and there's hmm. different levels of rabbi. Okay. I really have a like a second level. It's called Yora Yora, which is the the lower level, lowest level is like a teacher. The second level is... A different level of teacher, and then there's a yadin yadin, actually a rabbinical judge. Um, it can take a long time. It's very, very difficult, grueling. Well, that our, our our late friend Dick Colson would say, you know, you got to learn to be quick. The really, <laughs> the really quickest rabbis <laughs> get get the biggest hats. Right. Um, well, I think we should we should maybe wrap this up. It's been yeah. fun. I, I we're talking about the meaning of life. I'm a lifelong Detroiter. And I, I can't forget to to mention what Chaim Weitz once said. Do you know the name? No. <laughs> you might know him by a different name because he said he wants to rock and roll all night and party every day. Okay. Because that's that's his name is he calls himself Gene Simmons of Kiss. Oh. <laughs> so <laughs> he was born in Israel. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I think that was the meaning of life for some people. That's very deep and meaningful. <laughs> It is deep and meaningful. I I just want to make something really clear, and that is the point here is there's no avoiding personal pleasure as the motivator for our lives. God doesn't need our service. He doesn't need our prayer. But like a good parent, the Almighty wants us to have a full life and a connection with him. The Almighty wants us to be connected to him, and that's what it is. So the prayer is not for him. It's for us. It's for us. You want your kids to talk to you, right? Sure. They got a problem. Hey, come on, talk to your old man, you know, just because I'm older than you. That's what God, the Almighty is our, our parent. He loves us. That's what it is. It's that's, it's that's, it is that simple. Beautiful. Yeah. So people can skip the first 30 minutes, go right to there. See you next week. Thanks, Dick. <laughs> See you next week. Well, this was fun. Um, let me suggest that anybody who has a question for the rabbi can email me at ga. 
444 R E at Gmail. 